podcast ain't played nobody, Bill. I know you wanted Alabama and Oklahoma for the Baker. After Larry Rose III skipped across the goal line for the winning touchdown, his New Mexico State teammates jubilantly sprinted onto the field at Arizona Stadium. Scores of NMSU fans jumped the fence to join the celebration. It was a party 57 years in the making. Pneumatic New Mexico State, which, which had played in multiple conferences but no bowl games since 1960, had just won the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl in heart-stopping fashion. Rose's 21-yard touchdown run gave NMSU a 26-20 overtime victory over Utah State in front of a record crowd of 39,132. Like, half of Las Cruces was in Arizona Stadium uh, for Friday night's bowl game, Godfrey. You done? Most of them had made the four-hour drive from Las Cruces, filling the west side of stands with maroon and white. NMSU's faithful had waited literally decades for something like this. There was a sense of elation and disbelief <laughs> as coach Doug Martin and his players accepted, held aloft, and smooched the Arizona Bowl trophy at midfield. There you go. You done now? I mean, <laughs> there's more to it, but I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. I did encourage people to watch that when it was happening. Because it was the beginning was of the Cotton Bowl. And I told people to switch over just for the ending. I watched the five minutes of it. But it was it was uh, really exciting right out of the gates because you had back-to-back kickoff returns, which was fun. And then it was um, less exciting. And then the fourth quarter was great. This is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. He's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He's the author of multiple books. You can find them on the Amazons and the other places. My name is Stephen Godfrey. Um, I am recording this with the most dangerous of guns in my head, which is that uh, the babysitter has the flu. And Bill and I are recording this against the clock, the clock being an eight-month-old. <clears throat> I was asleep right now. So we're going to go, and we're going we're gonna to give you as much as we can before the fat bomb goes off with the poop and the uh, crying. Yeah, and I'll just talk, and you can go change the poop, and then I'll I'll just keep talking through it, and you know. If we'll it was see. just changing a diaper, I would say let's roll through the show, but I'm gonna have to give him a bottle. I'm gonna, I mean, it's just it's an ordeal. Bill, you did want, yes. you did want Baker versus Alabama. Uh, yes, that's fine. And, I and, did. And I wanted Clemson versus Georgia for the historical um yes. relevance to my own. I would have been fine with either one of those. Yeah, I, would, I, would I wanted, totally cool. wanted Clemson Georgia for the historical weird little footnote of that little slice of the southeast, but uh, we got the Saban Bowl. Uh, this is why to love college football you have to love everything that happens before the finale because the finale is so frequently underwhelming uh compared to what you might have hoped for in mid-november i think the millennials are spoiled and that they've had good finales and that we are used to not good finales yeah we've had we've had a few not good finales in recent years but the last couple have been lovely it's pretty bad um yeah so georgia's gonna play alabama um Everyone in this part of the country has already started in on like trying to dunk on Danny Cannell on Twitter and talking about why the SEC SEC matchup isn't the end of the world. Um, which is, which is, I love playing to the extremes in that argument. It's so stupid. No, it's not the end of the world. Yes, it does. This does have, I think, it, I think it does damage the sport. Yes, I do. I have no problem with it. It's not like I think that those two teams aren't deserving, but, and I, I'm fine with those two teams making the playoffs. I did say on Wharton Moneyball on SiriusXM this morning that I thought UC, UCF should have been in the playoff. It was early. I was just like, yeah, whatever. They're like, wait, you would have replaced Alabama with them? I said, no, I would have put Alabama higher. <laughs> I was pulling it out of my ass. What do you want from me? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it hurts the sport just because, I mean, they did – they got in fairly. It wasn't like a situation where you had an Oklahoma state in 2011, where a lot of people thought they deserved it over Alabama. Um, <clears throat> this was Ohio state. A lot of pe- there was a percentage of people that felt Ohio state deserved to get in over uh, Alabama. Nobody was talking about UCF obviously, um, but it, it was totally fair and they got in fairly. They, they had, you know, the resume point of didn't get crushed by Iowa on their resume. And, and so they got in and then they won. I mean, I, I can't can't really say that hurts the sport. The sport sport functioned as it was supposed to, uh, right down to the G five team getting screwed. I'd love to think that that hurts the sport, but I don't think it's going to hurt it at all because uh, you know the, the playoff would have made no money picking UCF over Alabama, so that it, it doesn't hurt anything other than we get annoyed by it. I um I just don't get that we get this weird bubble moment. I think it's when the, when the nationals, when the non college football affiliated jump in because it's about to be championship time. And they ask questions like, Hey, what's up with a UCF? Like, what did you, what did you expect? Yeah. Why is this shocking in any way, shape or form? It's not shocking that they beat Auburn. It's not shocking that SEC people immediately turned around and justified the loss that it was Auburn just couldn't get up for it, which is exactly right. what I said what happened last week, which is exactly yeah, yeah. what Florida, Florida State said about Houston, which is exactly what Baylor yeah, said no, about that's, UCF. That's, that's what I got when I pointed out that uh, the G5 teams were 3-1 and one in these bowls so far. Uh, well, they just don't care enough. Well, then raise the stakes until the other team does care and see how they do then, because I'm pretty sure they do pretty well. Didn't Boise drag Arizona in the Fiesta a couple years ago? No, they started to drag, and then Arizona came back back at the end i think it went okay. it was either it was either overtime or it it it, it wasn't close and then it was and then boys did at any anyway. point anyone associated with the pac-12 or the university of arizona which shout out to y'all this morning uh <laughs> did it, they never once used that excuse ever no they never once said oh we couldn't get up for it just pointing that out you literally crap i mean well i guess not literally you figuratively crap although i bet you literally <laughs> do if you're a drunk fan of the sugar bowl all over the concept of these programs when they do everything humanly possible to succeed, you, you, you undercut their achievements, even when they beat one of your teams. Yeah. To be fair. I have not, I have not heard an, I've not heard an Auburn fan use that justification. The two Auburn fans I, I casually interacted with said that that was a really good football team. So it was not Auburn fans. Discounted it was themselves. it was SEC fans. Yes, the the ether, <laughs> Bama, 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 Bama. Um, do you want to let's jump into Rich Rod real quick? Yeah, yeah, that was a lot to wake up to this LOL, morning. I got to bed. You know, after, after yeah, after you know going to bed late on Monday night, I st- I went to bed early yesterday. Woke up to a whole hell of a lot more messages in the our little college football slack room than I expected this morning. Uh, interesting. What you got? I don't know yet. Um, what I have is a rant in the making that I won't deliver today only because I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where this thing's going to go, but here's what you saw last night. A couple breaking news items on the local and national level. That this was going on. Then we got into the positioning game. All right. He's, he might be losing his job. Okay. He lost his job tonight. Why did he lose his job? There's a complaint to the attorney general's office in the state of Arizona about a sexual harassment in the workplace. Arizona releases a, a letter, I guess, to what students, alumni, faculty, saying he's been terminated, that there was an investigation. The investigation showed could not turn anything up, but, but the, the one individual, the victim, was not compliant in the investigation. 
you just assume right off the top of your head now that there's lawsuits galore on both sides on this thing. And then you have other national media guys, colleagues of mine that I respect reporting that Arizona is telling them, you know, on background off the record, this had nothing to do with that. And this was a football related decision. Well, of course they're saying that because they're trying to justify firing him and not paying him, you know, X amount of money in court. He's going to get all the money he can get out of that contract or honoring his contract. But the, the positioning on this is bizarre. Um, and I, I guess this is the new normal. I thought there would be a hashtag me too situation in college sports eventually. Um, it's uh, it's something I want to talk about, but I, let's measure ourselves. Cause you know you right. how you are about your controversial takes. Um, <laughs> we don't know the time. I don't know the, the timeline of the internal investigation of the university. I don't know the timeline yet of when the athletic department was made aware and then their decision making throughout the course of the early signing period, and then did they need for did they did they have to have an internal investigation finished to fire him? Um, I, I'm kind of asking that in the form of the question because he was fired. Regard the internal investigation seemed to not have yielded anything to fire him for on cause. So it's it's a very confusing situation. Um, you got to be careful. Um, we think we think we know that there's a, a, an alleged victim, a victim here. You got to be super careful with your language when you talk about this kind of stuff these days. Um, the timing's still weird. That's the, the timing. I'm not trying to talk about it in football terms, like football's the most important thing here. I just know those are concrete. That's concrete footing for me. The football timing of this is extremely weird. If there is an investigation ongoing, they went through and signed an entire you know early signing class. And now, on top of this, you're firing him now when the cycle's pretty much over. There, there, there was some, I wouldn't even say concern. I would just say a lot of people were kind of asking each other questions about what, if any, would the NFL cycle on Black Monday affect the, the college cycle. And it, it's becoming less and less. Um, in fact, I think it's more the reverse. Now you see NFL people going into college. But... I don't have anything to say. You know, I don't have a declarative statement. Um, he was always a good football coach. Dealt with him a couple of times. Went out there Tucson twice. Spent some time with him at the spring game two years ago, Bill. Uh, I was supposed to do a bigger embed feature on the spring game, but I caught food poisoning. Um, so that's what I remember about Tucson. Um, interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I can't. I, I'm, 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 I have no take until I learn more. Um, but it's, you know, it's disappointing just from a personal standpoint. Uh, he is a very fun interview. He's an easy coach to root for as a coach. Right. And so you never want to hear that those guys are, um, <clears throat> well, all coaches are jerks at times, but you know, a specific kind of jerk. You don't want that to be true. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what other information comes out. But, uh, I know that, we were concerned about Rich Rod being on the hot seat to begin the season, uh, and they did better than expected, but then they faded at the end. They lost Arizona State. They lost their bowl game. They didn't sign a, just an amazing recruiting class by any means. And that was after you know he got rid of Jeff Castile to bring in some recruiters, uh, and they weren't necessarily recruiting all yeah, that, that much better. Yeah, that Boise did not uh, work out. 
And so, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was an awkward situation. He's going to have a better team. He had a very young team this year. Obviously he's had Khalil Tate uh, returning next year. Uh, freshman, I think their major running back was either a freshman or a sophomore freshman, I think. Um, so obviously he was coming back. They were kind of well positioned for, a, to be pretty good next year. And, and so maybe, you know, we'll find out a lot of the stuff in the middle, but now they, if they end up with a Mark Helfrich or a Kevin Sumlin or whoever, um, who can take the reins and, and guide Khalil Tate to, to big things, then it'll, you know, everybody will forget, I guess. I don't know. It will just, I can't, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking. Cause I, until we know more, it's hard to, it's hard to skip all this so, stuff. Yeah, in the no, middle this is definitely this, something uh, I raised a flag on where I'm interested. I'm interested because I think the methodology is interesting here. I think the timing is the most interesting. Um, I guess they wanted to wait until they could, could conclude a, a thorough internal investigation. It's just that as that timing connects to the college football cycle, to me, it raises some red flags. Um, so I will say that. It's yep. something I, I want to put on the radar uh, because I have a bad habit the last three years of my career only finding interest in working on the most despicable parts of the sport. Um, yeah, you, we, we need to, my, like, you need I, to have Bill a and I have had some off podcast conversations. It's <laughs> I need to be transferred out of the the uh, the bloody crime division of college football because it's it's affecting how I look at the entire sport so much. So, Bill, we'll take it back to the headline for a second. Um, I felt a little numb watching the Rose. And that's probably a really bad sign, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's a sign that you need the off season. Yeah, um, I really do, to be honest. Um, I it, just in terms of the appreciation for the sport, I thought what Mayfield did was was awesome in the early part. Um, I had to do a round of talk radio. I have to do some more this week. Um, the only thing I that I could really come up with was, and it's weird, it's very anti PAPN in a certain sense that we'd be talking about a game this high profile, even though it's the playoff, and then also something this cliche and mundane. But when so Kirby does that little halftime runoff interview, and he's like, "Hey, it's our fault as coaches we didn't have him prepared," and we've heard that a gajillion times, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Except I think he was right. I think he was totally right in that they like didn't swap personnel. And they didn't go back to coaching a particular kind of fundamental or anything like that during the you know fifteen minute halftime, twenty minute halftime. They went in, made adjustments. They changed a couple things that looked like in their secondary, and then they kicked their ass. They got yeah. They started yeah. stunting. They started doing a little more up front their as fronts, well. All um, their front pressures changed, and so all of a sudden Mayfield was having to make bad decisions a lot faster. And it was funny because um, the way it all played out, you can see absolutely whatever you want to see with Baker Mayfield. Because if you if you believed he was still sick, then his reaction right. time for a while there in the second half is like, wow, he's getting tired. If you completely ignored that and just watched the game, it almost had the feel of like it had been so long since he had to deal with pressure uh, that he, he just was too he was too comfortable in the pocket. He was waiting too long, and and when Georgia started getting pressure, it took him forever. I think he was sacked on three of his first eight pass attempts in the second half. And that's um, what I thought would happen in the entire game. And so people like, I don't know. When I say that, people ask, well, why didn't they come out with whatever they came out with in the second half? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they've played offenses that are similar in certain regards, but they had a month. They came out unprepared yeah. on defense, I thought. I think it seemed like they basically had a, a plan of let's see if this works and we'll adapt if we, uh, if it doesn't. And uh, it took them a long time to adapt and you saw it coming slowly. The first two or three drives were just, you know, hot knife through butter. But then after that, they at least started fin- forcing some third downs. I uh, they forced a field goal. Two, I think it was three drives. It looked like they were just, they were like evaluating themselves. 
It's almost like they came out in base and said, okay, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, this, this. Okay, all right. But the problem was Oklahoma was going so fast. They're, they're just so yeah. good. I mean, they, this was the best offense in the country. This was the best offense Georgia was possibly going to face. And it really was kind of like they were surprised that, okay, we were prepared for them to be good. We weren't prepared for them to be this good uh, and to beat us this thoroughly. And so they had to experiment. They had to go through two or three rounds of adjustments before they started to figure out what would work. And, um, and yeah, power to them. Um, and it, of course, led to a lot of second-guessing about OU's conservatism late and everything. And I, I um, wrote a piece, I guess, yesterday morning about that and how I was watching OU the the way they were executing in the fourth quarter the plays they were calling not the way they were executing but the plays they were calling uh, it reminded me of a piece I wrote I think after the Texas or no it was a preview of Bedlam um, where against Texas Tech a week or two before OSU Oklahoma they were up comfortably they stopped Texas Tech on fourth and goal with like 11 minutes left and Tech didn't get the ball back um, it was just basically, you know, Ron Anderson, Ron Anderson, Ron Anderson, Ron Sermon, Ron Anderson. Okay, it's third and three. Let Mayfield throw a pass. Now, Ron Anderson some more. They were so good at ball control. They did that against OSU, too. They ended up, Mayfield ended up throwing a pick in the end zone, which gave OSU one more shot. Uh, but they had eaten like six, five or six minutes uh, of clock up, uh, and they were driving to put the game away when Mayfield threw that pick. And then when they got the ball back, uh, long touchdown run, put it away. So the fact that they were being conservative and whatnot, and, you know, the, people complaining, it was taking the ball out of Mayfield's hands. They kind of did that all year and they were good at it. Uh, so the story to me wasn't that they did it. It's that it didn't work. Uh, that Georgia was able to number one, force them to get a little more, to get a little more overthinking in their play calling with the, you know, uh, an option, a short side option to Kyler Murray, a guy on the radio, by the way, asked me yesterday, um, has the short side option, a short side speed option in the history of college football, has it ever worked? <laughs> and I could not come up with an example of it ever oh, working. And, and every, every coach in the country has called it at some point. It's so funny. I, I whatever, but uh, you know, they did that. They did the little end around a small wood instead Dude, of just running hey, up the middle. The, let me just say this before, before we move on the, cause you're talking about finding good things in the sport, mm-hmm. the reverse into the RPO that ends in a touchdown pass to Mayfield yeah. in a second yeah. is like one of the most elegant middle fingers in sports <laughs> I've seen in so long. It was so beautiful. Like it made me so happy just to watch when he freezes out the two defenders and they know that they've left Mayfield behind and he just catches it like, like a backyard toss and catch. It was yeah. oh, so glorious and then and then from that moment on georgia went on laid the hammer down for a little while oh that was the last piece of like true yeah. fun that oklahoma had <laughs> but um no they just they they did overthink a little bit but the fact that they were staying conservative made perfect sense they, they did it all year and it worked all year so um, did you um did you watch the film coaches film room at all i wasn't because i was live blogging i, I needed to stay on the regular broadcast but it looked it sounded like gary patterson was the star um, yeah definitely and then he but then he pulled a mac brown he like i i switched I was over at a uh, friend of the program, Travis Haney's house for part of the rose and then came home. And when I, when I turned it back on after halftime, it was in the sugar, he was just gone. I guess he had to catch a flight. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing was one, I think, I think those are still available on replay on the apps. Okay. Definitely. If you're interested, definitely like watch them. It's, it's people ask me what it's like when I do the embeds or what it's like, you know, when you and I talk to coaches at great length and we really get them kind of in a calm, comfortable environment where they feel conversational. That was close. Now they were sort of talking all over each other. And then there's, well, there's too many in the room, honestly, like you don't need six, three, three eloquent 
coaches would be fine and then maybe a moderator but they, they jammed them all in there because i think it's you know it's obviously good pr for those schools and stuff but although brett rep, brett repping no one but the double pocket <laughs> right. western shirt um <laughs> god he looks like a dull butthead um anyway he was very funny towards the end it got really 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 <laughs> loose but you can't if you are trying to sort of watch the game chart the game report on the game it's definitely not the format for you because right. it's so disjointed that they see the play in the top corner and then they're immediately going and and uh, rewinding it oh. because they have access to the live feed. And so you're learning a lot, but it's just best to watch it after the, after they yeah. consume the game in its normal manner. I will say, I, I had this conversation with Haney and actually like, I think with my dad or my father-in-law over the break, we need to move towards an a la carte system of football consumption on broadcast. And what I mean by that is like, we're already experimenting and ESPN does a good job of like, what, what kind of way do you want to watch this national title game? I think we I I would like to start watching football vertically instead yeah. of horizontally. Yeah. That's a huge thing. And then I think having the audio feed where they don't hold your hand and it's not about the sort of chuckle, you know, back padding dumb corporate network promotion like I've watched a bit of NFL if you couldn't tell the last couple of weeks as the Falcons made the playoffs and like <laughs> the play by play is so awful and the color is so awful. Um I think college football sometimes does a really great job on those like more forgotten broadcasts that are far flung where the guys just like, you know, for lack of a better term, they just talk ball and it gets to be very, very specific and it's almost unwelcoming to outsiders, which I'd be fine with. Um, but I will say this, the sugar bowl, the second half of the sugar bowl was way more fun to watch the coach, to watch the live coaches room thing. Yeah. You were stuck on the live blog. I can only imagine that thing was awful. <laughs> uh, major Major Applewhite gave me gave me my talking point when I did all my radio hits. He said he like didn't really talk in the coach's room at all. And then he goes, "Well, if you can get pressure with four and uh, you're running man on receivers and they can't get open at all, you don't really have to do anything else." I was like, "Oh, I'm stealing that." <laughs> this is like the simplest explanation possible. Re- receivers couldn't separate ever for Clemson, mm-hmm. and Alabama got pressure with four, and they're Alabama, and they were yeah. healthy. They were way healthier than they were in the Iron Bowl. So it's like they could kind of just do whatever they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, – I feel like when, um, when, we're into, when we're approaching a big game that involves Alabama, we, we start to engage in wishful thinking to a certain degree. Oh, I do it 110%. Right. And, but, but I, mean, I think everybody does because it, it really did seem like there was a lot more well, – Jalen Hurts has to be able to do this if, if Alabama is going to win and not exactly nearly enough. Well, Kelly, Kelly Bryant has to do this if Clemson's going to win. There wasn't as much of that as there was the Hurts thing. And I think part of that is because we're a hell of a lot more familiar with Hurts uh, and his limitations. Um, but yeah, it was basically whoever's going to be able to, the, the piece I wrote last week was basically whoever's able to make more plays in those past situations is going to win. Technically that was true, but really it was, uh, who isn't a complete disaster in those situations. Uh, and Hertz was, it wasn't good, but he wasn't a disaster. And, um, and that's basically what won them the game. So at one point I got up and like got a beer, I had to deal with a child or something like that in the third quarter. Cause it really started to bore me after the defensive scores, yeah. Alabama's average starting field was at that point was like the 48 yep. <laughs> it's like I 45 mean, to 17 or something like that yeah it, it, like i don't know if you need another stat you gave yep. one of the best teams in college football the last 20 years half a field like yeah, yeah this really win. was a good um uh, like illustration uh, well actually both semifinals they were very good illustrations of just the fact that there aren't any amazing teams this year because alabama 
we can watch Alabama and see all the ways that they're not uh, the best version of Alabama. And and the first thing is, I mean, I, for a couple of years, like I remember a couple of those title runs after 2011 and, and all that big slog and whatnot, I was defending Alabama's offense pretty frequently saying they're not that bad. They can go deep. They can kill you. I remember McCarron going deep a couple of times on Notre Dame um, and it was more explosive and, and more fun than maybe we were giving it credit for is just that once they got into winning mode, they would just, you know, grind and grind and grind and grind. It was the boa constrictor act. Yeah. Um, they don't have either one of those cards to play this year. They don't go deep very well and they can't grind you down uh, with their run game as well. They're just not there offensively. What we saw on, on Monday was that defensively when they're just healthy enough, not even hundred percent healthy, but healthy enough, they're still Alabama's defense. Uh, and that was enough. And it might be enough uh, against Georgia too. But it really, they were limited. Clemson made the college football playoff without Deshaun Watson. And while that's a hell of an accomplishment, it's also kind of an indictment of teams that should have beaten them this year uh, because they were more limited than they were in the past. Uh, Georgia has a freshman quarterback who, who occasionally makes amazing plays, and he reads defenses really well for a freshman, but he still looks like a freshman sometimes here and there. The, you know, rushes past him. really look like a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be the test of that. And then OU's defense stinks, or at least uh, alternated between being really bad and only average for maybe a little above average uh, at the beginning and end of the year. Uh, no, I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to commit to that. They were legitimately good at the beginning and end of the year. I wrote about it last week. I don't want to just succumb, but the bottom line is they did not have the pieces they needed defensively. They shouldn't have been a national title, a serious, serious national title threat with that defense. He, Yet they were. He's going to have to fire Stoops. Yeah, I, we, I kind of figured this was you know the way it was going to be all along. You know, he he wasn't going to fire Mike Stoops in June. Uh, there was just the, you know that that's uh, at that point he, he kind of coached this season as kind of a half interim because he hadn't been able to lay his his foundation yet. Yeah, you have to figure Mike Stoops like like I was you know I think joking a couple months ago now. Like look for Mike Stoops to find a nice Missouri Valley job or something. Um, <laughs> but I. Well, no, I mean, like that's go the Polini route. He, he, he actually didn't do that bad at Arizona as a head coach, go find a head coaching job at a lower level. But, um, Riley needs to put his guy in and see what kind of difference that makes. Um, all right, let's just go to questions. We'll do the, we'll do a little bit of a preview prediction in the end, but this is going to be a boring ass national title game. It's going to be, um, a, a game defined by negative space and what you do with the handful, if that, of mistakes that your opponent gives you. That's gonna yeah, be, that's that's fair. And I, I ugly, ugly chess. And and with that with that in mind, um, you know, we were talking yesterday on Twitter, uh, like Chris Brown and Spencer. Um, we got in in the morning, and um, we're at, like the one thing that Georgia does that causes everybody problems to a certain degree is they are able to use shifts and motion to create not only like mismatches, but like empty spaces. Um, now they shouldn't have been able to do it as much as they did against OU. The fact that they did it like 38 times against Missouri, uh, a couple of months ago, three months ago or so, that's not surprising. Uh, but they were just able to, it wasn't even that like their running backs were so good in some of those big plays that they got on, on Monday and against Missouri and all throughout the year was just basically they created a space where no defender was. And then they had a good running back run through that space. Um, and, and when Sony Michelle's sees that there's big open space, he gets to fifth gear real fast. But, um, 
basically, you know, short week in preparation for Alabama, Georgia might be able to do that a couple of times, you know, not obviously not, not, not 10 times, but they might be able to get a couple of those situations where they identify uh, what they're looking for. They shift just right. They, uh, and a running back bursts into space. The difference in this game might be whether that, that burst gets 20 yards or, uh, you know, a 60 yard touchdown. Um, And and, some alarmingly, uh, competent open field tackling by Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and, and, and so yeah, the odds are always I was, I was transposing that thought with like all the wildcat and and uh, yeah, all the Wildcat's, all the open field mismatch stuff that Georgia yeah. like like they were very big about. Oh, we'll just get them out in space and make a mess. Like that's not gonna work. Yeah, no, the wildcat's probably not gonna work against Alabama, but. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that's the thing. If if somehow if 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 the Michelles and the Chubbs and the Swifts and everybody, if they can get those those shots, however many they get, and if they can break a tackle at the second level and go upfield and get or either score or set up some points, like that's that's going to be the difference in the game. Ch- uh, Nick Fromm's not going to be able to go out and go you know like thirty five for fifty for four hundred yards. That's not going to happen. Um, but they can they against this limited Alabama offense, they're not going to have to score fifty. So yeah, you it's, sure it's, as hell better have a better read on what's going to happen in the first quarter with your defense. And now Alabama yeah. is not going to work you like Oklahoma did out of the stretch. But no. dude, um, all right, good questions. Yeah, y'all you're keeping us afloat. I'm excited about the off season because we can really get into some stuff. We don't have to talk about, you know, boring actual football, um, suffering enthusiast at Josh dub underscore. <laughs> Why does God hate Auburn fans immediately followed by another listener, Chris Warren at C dub four, nine, eight, six saying you sound like a passage out of Exodus. Red sea splits open food falls from the sky and God still hates y'all. I'm going to side with Josh Dub on this. I know this pain because someone recently told me that their Super Bowl prediction was the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots. If you're an Auburn fan, this sucks. It just sucks. God forbid. Like, it was bad enough to think about an Alabama-Georgia SEC title game. This is the national championship. If you're Auburn, (laughs) you can wallow. I, I, I encourage you to wallow. Moan, complain, and blame this problem on something cosmic. Yeah. I mean, that's wallowing is a good word for it. Like here's where I always have to, I feel like I need to throw in like, don't freak out. Don't fire Gus Malls on tomorrow. Like don't do anything crazy. Uh, you still got a good thing you were putting to get, you've put together uh, and it will pay off more often than not. And they did win 10 games this year, blah, blah, blah. But yes, your two biggest rivals. Oh, yeah, are playing and, for the and Don't even time. worry about rational. It's fine. Just feel bad. Yeah. Just, just wallow. Just, just, yeah. lay, just lay in the ground and cry. Don't do anything crazy, but wallow. And, and, no. and that's totally worthwhile. I mean, technically you owe them one campus landmark destruction i'm just saying <laughs> you owe them one right. so, and, and auburn's won a title this decade so i can't feel that bad for them but still it's yeah, gross bro, and I, I i understand um i got one over dm it's pretty good it's salty oh I'm, so did i actually I'm but go ahead today. phil norris asks why is it that most sports writers get lazy and predict traditional powers to be some of the best teams every year i understand that these programs have big followings but you would think that these writers would lose credibility right now thanks big fan of the show phil i'm gonna break your i'm gonna break this answer up into two <laughs> parts um i had a note here for um i was making notes for the show because I've, I've been forgetting a really? lot when we well I just just one line notes because i'm forgetting things to bring oh, okay. to complain about and uh, note in my left-handed scroll says, Indy over USC, uh, 18 hype, kill me. Um, so uh, I guess that I guess what I meant at the time, I was very hungover on New Year's morning. <laughs> I drank a bottle of port wine by myself about 1 a.m. on New Year's Eve. Oh, congratulations. I was asleep at 10. <sighs> of course you were. Um, 
Notre Dame uh, beat LSU in a really boring, rainy game in Orlando because there was an awesome, awesome pass down the sideline, and then yeah, one of the defenders were completely out of position, fell down. Yeah. Um, so now that's an eleven win season for Notre Dame. So just buckle up and bear ten. down. No, yeah, no, ten, ten, ten. Wait, were they nine? They nine or ten wins going in? They were nine and three. Nine and three. Yeah. Okay, so ten win season. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Um, it's going to be bad. That's the one this year. So I got to laugh and stomp all over the the normal USC hype cycle because they're you know they're going to lose Arnold as well. I forgot about Notre Dame. It's going to be awful. Uh, it's gonna I be really mean, bad. don't look. I mean, if you're you're looking around for somebody who say who's going to say they're not a top ten team next year, don't look for me. Uh, if, if you're trying to justify top five, then uh, I can stomp on that. I'm fine but, with top ten. I'm fine okay. with top ten, okay. Bill. But you know that they're not. You know that by August we're not going to be talking about Notre Dame. I, yeah, I don't know. We have to see how things play out here. I I I, I think. Some of the luster, I don't think they have the same automatic kind of USC level clout at this point. Um, Bro, but, you so, know Catholics. <laughs> that's true, but I also know that you know Catholics don't make up you know eighty percent of the college football writers. You don't know, you don't know enough Yankees, and you don't know enough Catholics. That's clear. I I think like I would be. Well, again, we'll see who goes pro, uh, and so we'll revisit this in a couple of weeks. But I think it might just be top ten because I don't think anybody was all that impressed with LSU either. So they're not going to overreact too much. Uh, and, and if they had won forty five seventeen, we'd be talking about something completely different here. Um, it is weird but, now because like the the Wolves circle Ed Orgeron straight for the throat after every single loss. Yep, he. Does, I mean, he the benefit he knew of the what doubt I was into. to every other head coach, he does not get at a, in a power position. He just doesn't because yeah. people are waiting for him to screw up like he did 10 years ago at Ole Miss. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, he knew he, he had to know that was going to happen. Um, and he's so, I, I'm I don't sure think he, he cares that much. Honestly, him. I think there are no. people around him at LSU that care a lot more than he does. Uh, Phil, to answer right. part of your question, why is it that most sports writers get lazy and, and, uh, and then the second kind of point to question, because that's how the sport works. Yes. Yeah, second. And then, um, why do you think these writers maintain their credibility? Because you give it to them, not you specifically Phil, but because, um, the positions afforded to these people, they build in tenure, they get lazy, they get, um, they get entitled. And then they also, they don't want to work and learn new things and accept and challenge the, the beliefs that they hold. I love being wrong. I'm wrong all the time. No one makes me make predictions for my work and then hold me against it. I'm not Vegas. Um, God, I, I screw things up on this show all the time. Remember last week we were laughing about, oh, you know, uh, Wisconsin's not really a turnover prone offense. No, they're definitely a turnover prone offense. Like, <laughs> I, that was wrong. Um, the the idea is always to keep learning, and most sports writers get to uh, it's a cultural issue. Um, but you know, I fight this inside the industry based on like the, the more political stances I take on like player compensation and what went on with the NCAA and Ole Miss. Like, I get beat up over that, but that's that's generational predicting the teams that you think like i don't know I, i'm sitting here talking myself out of it in my interior monologue like i always loved Bino cook stumping for notre dame even though i don't like notre dame because i thought right. it was, i thought it was kind of cute yep um people get people get old and people get lazy phil i don't know what to tell you but don't, but, don't read their stuff the other part, though, is that there, if you're, if you like the laziness in terms of progression to the sport and whatnot, for the sport, I should say. I mean, that's one thing. But if you're talking about just like, why did they pick the teams that were always good to be good? Because they're always good. Um, like, here's, here's last year's top 
here's last year's top 10 teams uh the the year end ap top 25 or top 10 number one was clemson they won the acc this year made the playoff number two was alabama they they uh well they're in the national title finals this year number three was usc they disappointed still won the pac 12 number four was washington top 10 team this year number five was oklahoma they won the big 12 and they made the college football playoff number six was ohio state top 10 again P- seven penn state and, oh, and they won the big 10 seven penn state top 10 again so you have to go down to number eight florida state to find a team who wasn't almost equally good this year that's why it's that's why you do it i mean but number one disastrous circumstance early in the season Right. So, I mean, they do it because there's a lot of laziness involved for sure, but they also do it because the best predictor of success is past success. So, I mean, that's, it is, it kind of, it rewards the laziness because you still get to be right most of the time if we're talking about ranking teams. Mike Martin at MS Martin 0208, most likely to be a P5 head coach in 2019. You ready, Bill? Okay. Kevin Sumlin, Burt, Butch Jones, Todd Graham. I'll rank them. Okay. You got any, you got any, uh, uh I'm, I'm going to listen to you first. <laughs> go, you go first. Uh, power five head coach by 19 going into fall of 19. Number one, Kevin Sumlin. Yeah. Uh, number two. Uh, Butch, <laughs> Butch Jones. Number okay. three, Brett Bielman. Number four, Todd Green. Kevin Sumlin missed out on a couple jobs after he got let go by AM. And I think he right. I think he I think the people around him know he needs a year more than he knows he needs a year. I don't think that he was in a situation towards the end of AM where he was going to be able to succeed doing what he does. I think he's the best coach of the four right now for college football in 2018. Um, I think Butch Jones wants to redeem himself, and I think he's a better coach than what he showed the last two and a half years at Tennessee. I think Brett Bielema um, is angling for a, a small window of particular jobs where he can change, kind of, kind of rewrite his history as well. And then I think Todd Graham probably has the least appeal on the market. I think, like, I think someone's definitely number one. After that, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, among other things, um, Arizona's AD hired Butch Jones at Central Michigan, so that's something to look for right there. No comment. Um, but beyond that, I think you're the one who pointed that out to me, actually. Um, beyond that, though, I mean, that yeah, that, that ranking seems about right. I do think that um, Bielema is kind of it. Honestly, I think Todd Graham it still has a lot of good coaching in him. I just it's I think it's harder to talk yourself into Todd Graham because, you know, you know, just generally, you know, you listen to people in the industry, it's harder to like Todd Graham. Um, but I think all, th- all four of them could still succeed as P5 coaches. It really is just a question of who gets the first shot. So I have a I got a DM question as well. Go uh, a long one, a long one. Oh, wait, um, don't DM or, us, at us. Well, no, he had to DM this because it was long. But um, okay. but this is our friend Eric. Um, he says, I know this is very off brand. I know that Godfrey hates Michigan and the Blackhawks, and I swear we are mortal enemies. Enemies, but none I of my don't friends. Don't hate Michigan. I hate Michigan <laughs> fans. There's a difference. Well, I think he's a Michigan fan, so it still applies. I swear we are mortal don't enemies. But none of my friends or family members are big college football fans, and I need someone to analyze this take on Michigan for me. So here goes. Wow, now, actually, a, bunch of, a bunch of people don't watch the rest of college football saying they like Michigan. What a shock. 
So I actually, he kind of talked me into this. I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at things a little different now. So this is about Jim Harbaugh. Oh, God. Harbaugh, Harbaugh's success at Stanford and San Francisco were based in being different. Stanford was and is a smash-mouth physical football team that still hadn't uh, had their true perfect season. They've been close but just co- couldn't quite make it. Uh, the philosophy was and is different uh, than the rest of the Pac-12. At San Francisco, he took advantage of some zone read elements to create true problems for the NFL with non-traditional personnel groupings. I can't really speak to that because I just don't I like can't. the NFL. 2012 NFC Championship, they ate our lunch, the the Niners and Falcons, by letting the tight end loose on the zone read. And the fronts just weren't ready. Defenses were not ready to account for that movement. There you go. Uh, year one at Michigan produced Harbaugh's most unique play calling. It appears that it was based mainly on personnel. Uh, to get to the point, it seems Michigan's offense is not unique enough for the contemporary game. Similar to your comments about Oregon State or Vanderbilt or even Nebraska entertaining thoughts on the triple option, do you think Michigan would be better served by moving away from the exclusive man-ball mindset uh, and utilize some of the athletes that uh, the coaching staff has been able to recruit? Uh, it seems like the conference and college football as a whole find it easier to stop this Michigan man-ball offense and with Urban Meyer uh, led Ohio state and Joe Moorhead shredding Michigan this year. Wouldn't an offense that allows a better use of athletes help Michigan in some capacity, the overcomplication of the scheme appears to be hindering them develop uh, in terms of development of quality players uh, and coaches don't seem to be executing game plans or fulfilling their developmental duties on the offensive side of the ball. Well. Over complication. Uh, yes. Uh, P.S. It seems that the first year, quote, other coaches, talent offenses have been better than the successive years when a classic Michigan, quote unquote, philosophy is pursued on that side of the ball. I that's kind of true um, for Michigan, at least. So I, I kind of like that comment because I do think one thing I try to do um is, is, you know, I wrote a couple different pieces this year, basically letters to Michigan fans saying, hey, you guys were never supposed to be great in 2017. You're building for 2018. Just keep that in mind. Um, and so when I kind of get to that state of mind about a team, I really kind of ignore the specifics. Um, like if it plays out about like I didn't expect them to lose to South Carolina. But otherwise, what did they what did they finish? Eight, what was their final record? Eight and five. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, eight and five. That that was probably about a game worse than I expected. I and and you can just attribute that to the bowl game, I guess. But they lost to Michigan State in fluky weather circumstances, and they lost at Penn State, at Wisconsin, and to Ohio State. Uh, they were only a, a, a roughly top twenty-five team. I did probably expect top fifteen or twenty, but they still like they they landed at least close enough to the mark that I'm still really confident on what they can do next year. Um, obviously they got to figure out the quarterback situation, uh, keeping, keeping quarterbacks healthy for a whole year is a hell of an idea. Um, all that said, so, so yeah, I mean, basically like I haven't really changed. I think Michigan's going to be really good next year. That's all fine. That said, I mean, go freaking find your Joe Moorhead because Joe Moorhead took a lot of four-star athletes and so, and a lot of non-four stars for that matter. But he had, you know, the five-star running back, a couple five-star running backs and four-star receivers uh, and a good quarterback for his system uh, and went out and created something awesome at Penn state. So like you should always be looking to innovate, even if, you know, if you want to play physical football, you can still innovate, you can still get creative. Um, and a lot of teams are doing just that. So, you know, I, whatever next year is the big pressure year for me with Harbaugh. This year was, was, was a punt, but, um, I've got a question if you can, if you're going to, if you can innovate, do it. Yes. Atkin S Smith asks how many more Ole Miss players will Harbaugh need on the roster to not blow bowl games anymore? 
Who cares about bowl games? Blow a bowl game. They lost by like two to Florida State last year. I think they should just probably cheat more. <sighs> All right. I got my meme in for the day. Let's move along. Um, we got a lot of good questions. We're not, we're not going to get to all this stuff. Okay. Um, one and two in bowl games under, under Jim Harbaugh. And one of them was a Florida state guy. Anyway, Carmine Scarpaglia asks, how good is Notre Dame? If Wimbush completes 65% of his, uh, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Wait, what? Wimbush completes 65%? I, I, I'm not, we're no, 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 that's not, no. Even if they're really good, that's not the goal for, for Wimbush. But yeah. Ryan Mann asks, how is the offseason almost here? Stephen Godfrey replies, kill me, dear God. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of questions. We're, I mean, we may have to backload these into the next episode. Um, <laughs> thoughts on Matt? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Mason Moore at Mason C. Moore. Thoughts on Matt Wells at Utah State. After three straight losing seasons, should we keep him? Two years left on his contract, 34-31 all-time in bowls in four of his five years, but other promising coaches available. Matt Wells was a promising coach available. Remember uh, that? Uh, pro- uh, okay, so they were top 60 this year. Yeah, um, I they were very they better than they did last year. They were very unlucky to lose their bowl game. I, I mean, I, I love the New Mexico State won that game, uh, obviously, but they had some turnovers luck. Uh, they lost by three to Air Force. They lost by five to Wyoming. Um, they improved without a doubt this year. Last year, they were super unlucky again. I mean, I, guess, I, I realize if I say unlucky enough, then fans are going to, you know, well, it's him. But they lost a ton of close games last year. They had a ton of injuries last year. Like, he has not, he has not reached his expiration date yet. Maybe they'll just keep losing close games until he gets fired. But um, I, I think he's still doing an okay job. Uh, given the situation, given that environment, I know Gary Anderson came out of there and there's a level of expectation. He's a good, I think he's a good football coach. I think they just had a bad, a little bad spate there. And I think the smart thing that John Hartwell, the AD has done out there is hold the line and understand what's available and understand what you yeah. can do. And I think you do have a good coach. Yeah. I think you've just had some unfortunate you, circumstances. You have to be patient. You have to be patient at Utah state. This is, you're, you're not, it, it's not that far removed from a massive drought of success. And so yeah. now complaining about six and seven, that's a, that's a good sign. I think important tweet hub asks, what are some things I can do with my time instead of watch the title game? Uh, the X files is back. Read the 50 best college football teams of all time. Oh, man, uh, you're learning my ways. Look at you promoting. I'm assuming it's available on prime again. You can get it t- delivered by Monday. I you know, just got to throw that out there. Um, and if you've read it, read it again. Um, I got one. Okay. Fun while it lasted at UF Mark 79. What level of backlash and from whom would it take to get early signees in a case like Arizona the chance to opt out? Or are the yeah. courts already in place for the NCAA, NCAA to feel pressure? Um, I think the courts are already in place. You saw this, you see the situation, I think, what, every time now that you have yep. these untimely coaching departures. Um, Old Miss is going through it right now with the NCAA stuff. They stepped in it um, by blocking transfers because of the upcoming opponents on the schedule and that kind of stuff. You, the tenor and tone is changing on this, and uh, you, I think you have to offer it. I know they don't want to, but I think they have to offer it. And real quick, Bill, before you get to your question, I'm trying to just do these fast, y'all, because you yeah. actually y'all have given us a bunch of great questions. Um, <laughs> I have one, two, three, four questions about what's going on. I don't know what's going on with Matt Canada yet. Okay, I don't know if Matt Canada and Ed Orgeron know exactly what is going on with them yet. I hear you. I see you. I love you. I'm not going to say anything until I can find out. Um, uh, Regarding the courts and all that in the NCAA and the tenor and tone changing. um, I don't. Does that matter? 
uh, honestly. Uh, the one thing I think that because here, here's here's what you know. I, I was reading a couple of uh, things I wrote about for for a completely different piece. I was reading a couple of old things I'd written about stats and whatnot um, recently, and I you know there were points in there where I was talking about like uh, or or in fifty best you can read this. Um, you know, in the fifties, we were arguing about amateurism, you know, in the seventies, we were arguing about a playoff and almost 40 years later, we got one. Like it, we all, it, when everybody agrees that something is wrong and needs to be addressed, it's still like 25 years before it actually happens. Um, oh, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying, I think the attention towards that situation specifically is higher than it ever has been. And that, you're absolutely right about that. I just, I want to know, like, it gets so frustrating to like, when, when we have to play this silly game, uh, like we all agree that, you know, we, players need to be compensated in a different ways, but let's hammer these coaches who cheated, you know, and, and it just gets so exhausting to play, you know, whatever. And that's your game. And that's part of the reason you're exhausted right now. I think not a question, but right next to my tweet column that has all the questions for the show. I see our friend, Matt Baker over in Tampa Bay retweeting a headline. ESPN's Chris Fowler says he hasn't yet heard a great idea for how to expand the playoff without damaging the overall product. Everyone at ESPN can eat it. Sorry. You're freaking kidding, Chris. God. Joey Ripplinger asks, uh, Luke Fickle had the top AAC recruiting class this year despite a poor first season on the field. I assume he will get things turned around. But at this point, what is success at Cincinnati? And how much time does Fickle have to get to that level? I can answer the last part first and emphatically, um, he has a lot of time. They uh, both made a commitment to each other. I sound like I'm in marriage counseling right now, Aww. but Fickle and Cincinnati, Cincinnati was tired of the, the Cincinnati knows that they can't sustain the, the quick turnaround coaching situations where like at Houston got into and the, the directional Florida's got into, they wanted someone that would sit with them for three or four years or five years, even that wouldn't be, um, you know, wouldn't do the kind of Tom Herman jump situation one and done, but Fickle, um, it makes sense for Fickle to sit. It's funny because uh, Man, Cincinnati's gonna hate. Cincinnati fans are gonna hate me bringing Houston into this, but like they both made really good hires and guys that are established names to a degree, right? As assistants, they both were good college players, and they're both gonna stick around for a bit. And so Fickle's gonna stick around for a while. He so he has a lot of time. Um, I saw that he had a really good recruiting class. It makes a ton of sense to me because he has been more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, I mean, I love Tommy Tuberville, but I'll just be honest. Tommy did not value Southern Ohio. He liked it in terms of recruiting, but I don't think he understood that place the way that Fickle does. Now, Fickle's from Columbus originally, but he is an Ohio man, and he's done a really good job connecting and recruiting um, in that part of the state and, and really getting talent. Not, not even It's not even a shadow situation with Ohio State. He's just, he's just applying those principles to that program. I think he's going to do a good job. I think the one thing that I have concern concern in that I don't know the answer yet. Not that there won't be an answer, but um, the thing about the AAC is that the identity. A lot of programs are crafting awesome identities at the moment. Obviously, you've got Navy, but Temple has an identity. Um, UCF has an identity. They lost Scott Frost, and they didn't. They they went out and found the next high-paced offensive yeah. coach to replace him in Josh Heupel. A lot of these programs are figuring out here's what we are, here's what we want to be, and that allows you to survive coaching changes. That allows you to keep recruiting towards a specific specific style. Um, what just looking at the product on the field the first year Cincinnati saw like what th- I guess three Cincinnati games this year um I have no idea what they wanted to do and, and and sometimes that happens in your first year we you know we didn't really know what Georgia wanted to do last year so um 
it just it takes a couple of years to develop that but that's what he has to find that he's going to fight that uh, in a conference that has a lot of strong identities yeah um and uh you know once you get your recruits in you better start showing something but yeah he is recruiting well it'll probably be all right i think they want to be i i, I don't want to I don't want to denigrate. I mean, I don't say they just want to be Ohio State, but they kind of want to be a mini Ohio State. I just they, they right. were not in a position to achieve any of that on the field in in this first season. Um, right. Who Dakota Meyer uh, at? Oh, oh wait, go ahead. Go ready. Rock, okay. Rock, yeah. Rock, yeah uh, at, at 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 Joe strength <laughs> our friend Carl. Since the full cast uh, has had a bowl mascot, which bowl game would you be the mascot for? A friend of mine already po- posted on this uh, on Twitter on January 1st. Give me that potato bowl costume now. I will wear that damn potato. I will wear the hell out of that potato bowl costume. Anyway. Um, I'll probably just put on a pair of moderately affordable slacks, even though they're not, they're not <laughs> long enough for me because Belk doesn't carry 36-inch inseams. And I would stand on the sideline in Charlotte maybe light a cigarette, act like a disaffected Southerner. I think I, I think I sort of already am the belt bowl mascot <laughs> at Dak Meyer. In your opinion, was bowl season this year better at getting casual fans to tune in? If not, how could lower tier bowls get Joe Schmo and his family to tune into the December 18th to watch the <laughs> game? Um, I think the ratings were, were fine. Yeah. By I don't way, know if it was better or worse. Uh, kind of a more interesting thing here. But uh, thank you, Dakota, for putting us in this in this headspace. No one cares about ratings beating like no one cares that ESPN beat Fox in the ratings. There was this, like <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't care what the rating was for the Orange Bowl and how the, I don't I don't care. And guess what? The consumers don't care. It is a false flag to scare people about the state of the sport and the state of network television. And you know what? It's a completely unreliable narrative because more people are consuming the televised product. In the non-traditional format than ever before. And the industry, which looked at this and ignored it for 25 years, has basically been running to catch up. All right. We knew 25 years ago that television video would be consumed in different ways. And now that, you know, people are standing out at a tailgate or people are on their phone streaming stuff, if the overall Nielsen is down, everyone's losing their mind. It's, stop. Just stop. It really, that's one of those conversations that I'm just like exhausted by at this point. I don't want to have anymore because they just, they are what they are. Like I, I just, I, I put together a, an approximate uh, top 100 list this morning for my top 100 games of the year piece. I guess I'll go up like end of next week or something. It looks like eight of the top 46 were bowls. Um, that's, that feels about right. I think bowl season was fine. There were a couple of outrageously bad games, but when you have 39 games, that's just the way it is. Uh, there were some tremendous games. Obviously, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the number one game on my list was a bowl. Um, and, and so it's fine, but it's just, it's funny because like we feel, I, I think I was saying this last week too. I think we're both be feeling pretty disaffected at the moment maybe, but, um, like I said this last week, you know, we, in our little bubble, we create a narrative, uh, where we feel everybody, like we feel we push the conversation forward. And part of that is, Hey, polls are fine. Um, and so you see that. And then you see like Kirk Herbstreit and Booker McFarland, both like on Twitter, I think on TV too, like, oh, they're just, just participation medals and like, first of all, you're ESPN employees. So, you know, that's awesome. But like, I, I it just, a, it was another reminder that we don't actually push the conversation forward at, at, at a high level. And we're just going to continue arguing that there are too many bowls for the next 75 years. At CFB asterisk asks us UCF's 
mythical national championship. Love it or hate it. I love it. Love, love everything it. about it. Because it's a middle finger. It's basically like we don't know, like we, or we do know that you're never going to give us an actual shot at the title. So screw you. We're gonna we're gonna claim a title anyway. Good on Danny White. I think it's great. There's and no honestly, reason. like I think being, honestly, especially Danny White, more so than some of the other G5s that have gotten screwed over in recent years. They were never even. They were never even placated. They, yeah. they were just ignored the entire run, and they may be they may be the best of the G fives in the playoff era. Yeah, no, easily they're, they're easily better the than the Houston team that beat Florida State and Oklahoma. Yes. Well, I mean, you know how I was talking about that team. They were pretty lucky turnovers and all that. UCF was not lucky with turnovers. Um, they did not have a close game until USF or uh, no SMU. Sorry, they did uh, SMU uh, fought them pretty well for a while, but uh, they were a top five team for about the first two months of the year. They were a top fifteen team for the last month of the season. They beat the team that beat both of the teams in the national title game. Um, if that doesn't change anybody's mind on the committee nothing's going to and they just need to well well among other things they need to find new people for the committee but um like they did absolutely positively everything they could and the fact that at first i was kind of hating that they got had to play auburn because i thought it was the worst matchup for them they would have matched up better with a penn state or something or washington but then they went out and beat the team that beat both of the national title game participants uh you cannot make a bigger statement than that um, and and so yeah say screw you like throw the biggest middle finger in the air that you possibly can because maybe that'll get somebody's attention probably won't uh, but it's really the only way anything's ever going to change is to basically just uh, you know be really super obnoxious and finally annoy people what did you think about the um that was a pretty boring early slate um, with my hangover. We complain year in and year out about how they dogpile all those games together. And then, you know, to, so the rows can be go on without uh, competition. Right. I was kind of fine with it this year. Um, the, <laughs> right. I was not, I screwed up and didn't pay enough attention to UCF Auburn until probably like the last three or f- uh, last four or five drives, maybe. Um, okay. Well, I mean, you didn't, you didn't miss just a whole hell of a I lot. Should not have anchored, I should that. not have anchored on Notre Dame LSU. Yeah, that was, you gotta be, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be flexible. You gotta have your hips ready to, to change directions there. But, it was such, uh, but, but like we got up like Michigan, South Carolina was so trash. And then it, it actually started getting entertaining right as other games as, as Auburn UCF did too. Right. And then I, yeah, uh, I just ignored it. Um, cause I got all the captured footage of our pal Ryan Annie as the onion. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't have to watch South Carolina. I love Ryan, but I'm not going to watch this South Carolina Michigan game for this. Um, and then was it just those three or missing one? Yes, it was those three. Um, yeah, I kind of sat and, with LSU and, Notre Dame and I regret it. I watched the least of that one. Yeah, I should have watched UCF. Um, um, yeah, I have nothing to say about Wisconsin-Miami. Um, Miami, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that in a negative. I'm just saying like, man, Miami fell apart <laughs> the last three games of the year. Um, Wisconsin did a really good job. Um, Penn State-Washington was as awesome as we said it we would be. Um, I didn't watch Iowa State-Memphis after saying I would. Um, yeah, I didn't watch a lot I of that I hate one. that Lamar Jackson finished his career the way he did because now that's going to be a thing. Um, well, did we – like, I, I assume that was the end of his career. He hasn't made it official yet, right? I hope he comes back and just keeps whipping ass. Um I, I would love it, but yeah, Ohio. but uh, yeah, like here's my, here's my one Wisconsin Miami thought. Right. Miami made Wisconsin play well. 
Um, and that's, that's really all we can say. Cause like, yeah, the first Miami played great the first quarter, just got destroyed the second quarter. And I think part of that was because they didn't have a lot to offer offensively over like in terms of diversity. Once they, they found a couple things that worked, but not a lot that worked. Um, but then they came back out swinging in the third quarter. They made Wisconsin play well and proved that they were a good team to win by 10. Wisconsin played well and proved they were a really good team. So they won by 10. Kyle and Mike asked rank the, um, NY six bowls in terms of overall awesomeness from this year. So obviously Rose first, um, Fiesta yeah. second. I would hear a case for the peach because it was a little more dramatic. Oh, yeah, no, 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 I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go. But Fiesta was very, very right, high quality. Rose, peach, Fiesta, sugars at the Orange. bottom. I think cotton's at the bottom below sugar. That was, but they were both bad. Can we have him tie for last place? Sure. What's your ranking? Um, I, I, and I had to, I live blogged all of these games, but the peach and um, the USC, like, the one thing that I guess the cotton ball had going for it is that USC was consistently thinking about coming back. Uh, but once, once Clemson had the two picks in the third quarter, that game was completely and totally over and everybody in the stadium knew it. And then the fourth quarter lasted an hour anyway. At Belk bowl asks, how much did you love the belt bowl? <laughs> Loved it. I didn't watch it. Oh, it was a weird time. Okay. What was the time? It was it was, a, uh, it was an odd kickoff time. Yep, it was an odd that. kickoff time, and I had to take a break, and I assumed that A&M would throttle them, and I was wrong. Shout out to them Deeks. Shout out to them Deeks. Um, all right, Bill. We ran through a bunch of stuff there. And is the kid still down? The kid is stirring. I see a leg shaking. He's, he's got a little Jimmy leg right. going, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. That was good. Um I have 85 questions in my mentions about Matt Canada. He's not dead. He's alive right now. Um, all right. Anything else you want to say about Monday night? It's going to be boring. Yeah. That's boring. Like it's, I don't want to oversell the, the, the badness of this. You still have the best and probably according to S and P at least the best and third best teams in the country playing each other. I'm going to oversell the badness. This. This is a Pontiac Aztec football game. You still have Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle. You still have Roquan Smith. You still have a lot of good Alabama backs. You still, unfortunately, like the, probably the most fun player uh, on uh, Alabama's defense, the uh, Anthony Jennings got hurt and he's gone, but you still have uh, Mika Fitzpatrick. You're still going to make, you see a lot of really, this isn't just bashing rocks together. You're going to see uh, George, at the very least, Georgia trying a bunch of different things <laughs> offensively. Uh, and you're going to see a lot of high quality players making, you know, playing like high quality players players so i don't want to this isn't going to be i don't think 2011 uh, lsu alabama uh so i it, I, got my, it, I, 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 think, I got my professional and personal all mixed up here right now because i was about to say I, i'm trying to figure out if this is going to be alabama notre dame or alabama lsu and what i mean no, what i mean no, what i mean by no. that is is it going to be alabama murdering them or is it going to be Alabama keeping them in their basement and just draining their blood into a bathtub really slowly over the course of a couple of days, maybe using some antibiotics and coagulants to just make them suffer longer, which was, that was the LSU game, by the way, if you couldn't tell. Yes. Um, or um, is the alternative going to be new Alabama kills old Alabama along with new Alabama? And either way, personally and professionally, I'm exhausted with these concepts and I'm exhausted <laughs> yes. with these narratives and the way in which these programs achieve success and the, what it does. And like, then to have someone ask like, gee, isn't it funny about UCF? Like, no, it just sucks. This sport has problems. 
So <laughs> I really needed Baker Mayfield and or Clemson to do something I, different, and it's not happening. I was excited. I was excited about Baker Mayfield versus Bama, um, and it, and it didn't happen. But I will. I, I am also very very fond of Sony Michelle, of Roquan Smith, of Nick Chubb. Obviously, there's always going to be a sa- there's potential for a Saban effect here. We all know how he tr- tends to treat his former assistants, but this is the best version of this is the best team led by a former assistant that he's ever played that's what they asked um, i got asked that i think it was serious today and they were like uh we have serious and they, they said what about that 11 or no stat against former assistants i was like you can't compare this team to Derek dooley tennessee teams and the, right. the d'antonio michigan state team that was absolutely like beyond injured going into that semi um and i think that's absolutely ridiculous but to borrow to borrow the concept from our friends at the Solid Verbal, this is still the Alabama crockpot, you know, yep. and they can still they, they they let me tell you something. You know what happens when you put a crockpot in a crockpot? It cooks the crockpot. So just because you're more Alabama than most doesn't mean Alabama still can't Alabama your ass to Alabama. I I am holding out hope that this is a much more entertaining game than any of us are saying it's right gonna now. It's going to be a talented, expensive bag of ass. Can't wait. <laughs> Off-season projects uh, for the next season. eight months. Save me. I am going to do my own work in this regard, but the listeners have to, have to reel Stephen Godfrey back away from the dark side just a little bit. He's always going to lean in that direction, violent, and that's fine. I, mean, I'm just, I spent a year on the violent crimes unit, and I've just seen some. I just yeah, want to sit to, in a quiet room for a while. You need to you need to be on the the fireman saves a puppy unit for a little while, so we'll work on that. Um, that's a robot, Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. Uh, we should be – we will be back normal time next week bill yes enjoy your title game i can't wait for it (laughs) i can tell